Welcome to Season 2 of 76 West, the podcast of the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan, featuring talks from the JCC's Conversation Series, a marquee program of the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas. This podcast is brought to you by Zabars and Zabars.com. Today we'll be listening to a discussion between actor and author Ellie Kemper and Abigail Pogrebin, part of Abby's ongoing series at the JCC, What Everyone's Talking About. In this talk, Kemper, the star of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Office, and Bridesmaids, discusses her collection of essays, My Squirrel Days, which hilariously chronicles adventures from her childhood in suburban St. Louis to her move to Hollywood and start in show business. This conversation was recorded in front of a live audience on January 30th, 2019. Welcome to the uh, to the Polar Vortex, Ugh. JCC. How exciting that we have Allie here. Yay, thank you for coming. So excited. Abigail. Her fabulous <laughs> book. I told her she can call me Abby, and she said I can call her Allie. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're already BFFs back yeah. there. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to the to the Zabars because uh, my son is actually in Chicago in the polar vortex and I sent him Zabars care package. So uh, let's so hear it for Zabars. Zabar. Takes care of your kids. And hear it for mom. You're a good mom. Thank you. I'm a good mom. <laughs> and, um, and Ellie, your son's being turned into a little JCC Jew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is. I'm not old. Jewish, you guys, but yes, yes he yes. is, and he he lo- he's in the twos program. He loves it. That's good. That's I just good. told you he makes he makes me sing. He asks me to sing about his teacher Janiris every night. It is Aww. so sweet. And he do com- you do it? I do it. Yeah, I'm a good mom too. I he comes he comes up with the lyrics and then I just repeat them. That's great. It's hard to rhyme with Janiris. Yeah, though. that's the only thing. <laughs> you yeah, you'll do that when he's in college too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, let's let's just start with why write a book because obviously you're established, famous, beloved on television and film. But the idea that I mean, you had written before; you'd written articles, which I didn't realize for various humor publications. And where, tell me where you'd written for? I had written for McSweeney's shorter pieces, McSweeney's, The Onion, um, and really that's about it. It was I had never written any. Was that pre-television? All the writing? Yes, McSweeney's was a lot when I was here in New York uh, doing improv and other stuff before I had a big break on the office. It, I was submitting a lot to McSweeney's online because they took open submissions. And so I would try to get stuff in there. And I finally did. And I got, a, I got about a dozen pieces in there. And um, I always wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a collection of essays. So I wasn't sure in what what form I wanted to take, if I wanted it to be fiction or nonfiction or what. Um, but as you know, you're the author of many books. I feel like wanting to write a book and actually getting it done are two different things. And so Actually, when I was pregnant with James, uh, so this would be three years ago, I finally decided, okay, this is an actual deadline. I'm going to have a baby. I want to write a book, so I'm going to try to um, sell the book, write a proposal, and get as much done before I have James as possible. In fact, I thought, oh, I'll just write the book before I have James, which was like six months, and I didn't write the book. And so, of course not. Who can you? Can't. You're filming Kimmy Schmidt at the same time. Yeah, uh, that had that. Yes, yes, that. Um, yes, they were overlapping. I think we had probably finished the. 
second season by then. Mm -hmm. So I had downtime. Um, But it's hard to actually sit down and write, (laughs) as you know. When did you write? When did you find the time? Did you have a rhythm? Did you have a, I know you have like soul cycles of priority. (laughs) When when did (laughs) you fit? We'll we'll get to that. But when when did you actually have the time? Were you disciplined? Because you seem like somebody who would have a schedule. I I needed a schedule. And actually, um, so I remember someone saying to me, oh, well, when James is born, you'll actually have a lot of free time because he's sleeping so much. What are you talking? Like, what? <laughs> really, it was this, and there was a guy who said it to me. Yes, He's like, course. "You'll just have a lot of, you know, what's he's, he, he's a newborn. Well, he, like, you're exhausted, so no, right. there was not a lot of free time with a newborn. So, really, I, f- I found that I got most of the writing done after about, I guess he must have been a year old by that point. And then when you're sort of regaining some sense of schedule, um, I do my best. I'm most efficient in the morning, so I would get up early before he would like at 4.30 or whatever. And that would wow. be my like prime time to write. But then I'm I'm like done by noon, like with life. <laughs> We've written with life. <laughs> yeah. Finished. And why the squirrel? Explain the squirrel. Okay. It's so really the, a mystery to all of us. Exactly. I know. Which I didn't realize there was all these little squirrel obsessions in the world. I didn't yeah. realize that. Until well, I New Yorkers, we, we don't have a great reaction. No. The squirrels here are way too yeah. comfortable with humans. They're yeah, just, they, they really are. think. Right. Um, I, there was a squirrel in my backyard who I gave the name Natalia to, or Natalie, because um, I was going through a phase where I really wanted to uh, be one with nature, and I had just watched Dances with Wolves. I thought, oh, I can really um, commune with nature, commune with animals. I had human friends. It was fine. But I also um, wanted to be friends with this like squirrel. Like what age roughly is this? I would say about 12. Um yeah, smoothly adjusting into um, high school and middle school. Um, but I I, felt I was rejected by the squirrel, ultimately. I thought that we had, like, something going, and then I fell off a tree, and the squirrel was laughing at me. And I realized then that nature is indifferent to all of us. Um, we better take care of it. This is a larger lesson I learned. We yeah. have to take care of it. But, um, yeah, that's what the that's what the title refers and to. And did that. you actually, like, pose with the, with the squirrel? Yeah. That she is really, real... she risked her life. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That squirrel's name was Squirrel. Um, the trainer's brilliant. name, the human trainer's name was Bambi. Um, but... <laughs> But that's again. It's 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 how a few tough things I've had to do, I guess, because that is one of the tougher things. Posing with a live squirrel, it was just they're animals at the end of the day, so right. you don't know what they're going to do. But squirrel was a showbiz squirrel, so he was like used to being on camera. So before we leave your animal phase, yeah. um, tell us about Waldo. Oh, Waldo has now been given to James. I guess Aww. I just like yeah. So Waldo's and- endured. Uh, survive. Yeah. Oh, yes. Waldo is my stuffed walrus who is just a stuffed animal. We all have a stuffed animal. And um, he was given to me by this really magical woman. She was a student teacher, my second grade student teacher. And um, I, he, he, not only has he endured, he's like in tip top shape. He's really, uh, his whiskers are intact. Like he, his little white sailor's cap is, there's only like a little chunk missing. Dog ate it, but everything else is like pretty good. Um, yeah, I, between and, Waldo and Squirrel, who are my friends? <laughs> but let's get to your childhood because yeah. I mean, people, I mean, obviously want to hear about about your career. But you you're a Midwesterner, and how has that kind of informed you? Would you say was St. Louis shaping in any way memorable for you? Yes, and not because New way- Yorkers can't really understand that. I know. <laughs> 
Are you born? Are you? I born am born here. Yes. Okay. That's another story. That will we'll get. To, that'll yeah, be the next interview. Um, I didn't realize how much of an effect St. Louis had on me until I moved to the Northeast. I went to college in the Northeast, and I realized when I realized, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I was Pollyanna, but I tend to say hi to people when I pass them. And on college on the college campus, I would pass people and smile and you know. And I, I call. I remember calling my mom and saying, Mom, people do not say hi back to you. <laughs> Anyway, and I realized, oh, the Midwest is a different part of the country. And I, I it's, it's not one area is not better than the other. But I do think it, um, yeah, I think it has an effect. I, 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 I don't know. I always, I do harbor this little dream of some time moving back to St. Louis. I don't know in what form that would take. But How I does your husband feel about that yeah, dream? Yeah, he's, he's like <laughs> checking so that exciting. dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so your, your parents did what? And, and tell us a little bit about like what they were like, what your home was like. My dad is a banker. Um, my mom has, they have four kids and my mom stayed home and took care of us. And the dynamic at home, I mean, again, now Pollyanna through and through, but there, there was a lot of laughter. There was. My parents are both very funny. My dad's very, um, he's kind of uh, inscrutable and he's a businessman. And then when he's funny, you're like, that was so funny because he's not so expressive, I guess, right. but ma that makes him kind of funnier. He's very wry. And my mom is closer to me. I think she is more animated and she's also a redhead. And um, I have three siblings who are all very funny. I feel like I had a, um, I was very lucky. I had a, a wholesome, I guess, upbringing. And um, and something was in the water because your your sister also writes for, yeah. for, she, for television. She or? writes for television. She wrote for The Office and she uh, used to write for Silicon Valley on HBO, and now she's writing for um, Baskets, which uh, is a very funny show on FX, I, I think. Yeah. But were you guys doing shows? And tell us about the Christmas the Christmas pageants yeah. in your I, home. We did a lot of shows. I, I bet a lot of people here put on shows in their basements or, or, or not in their garages and forced their parents to watch. We always put on a Christmas show every year, and every year this show would cause me such stress because I was the director. Well, I was also the line producer and the wardrobe designer and the choreographer, and I was like... I, I just remember in September feeling like the adrenaline start to bump, and I was like, how am I going to pull this off? It's <laughs> like eight years old. Yes. And I felt like, because my collaborator, my younger sister Carrie and my best friend Katie, they were just goof-offs. And like, I was the one who had to, you know. Pull it all together. Pull it all together. And that was my first experience being the boss. And I often buckled under the, we always pulled it off, yeah. but I was, it was really It was a nail bad. biter. It was a nail biter. And December 26th came around. I was very relieved. I'm just going to read a little bit from that chapter because I loved it. Oh. The shows took years off my life. <laughs> and yet when people ask me why I needed to do them, why I felt this obligation, I simply shrug. Why did Van Gogh cut off his ear? I reply, not really wanting an answer. My point in bringing up Van Gogh's ear is that artists are out of their minds and genius can't be explained. Right. Um, I so, am Van Gogh. Yeah. So you were... Um, Thank you. Were you... Just be immodest for a minute. Were you known as like the funny one as you grew up and were in like school shows? Were you getting cast all the time? Were you getting the parts? Yeah, I was. Um, well, this was news to me. My younger brother told me recently that he's like, you always talk the most at the dinner table, which I never knew, probably because I was talking the whole time. So I was like, I can't hear anyone else. Um, I, yeah, I think in like middle school plays, yes, I think I was, uh, I don't know if I was getting cast as the lead. I'm trying to think of what we did. I, I don't think it was like 
but it was your persona. You were a performer. Yes. I also I played sports in high school too, right. but but uh, I also... I you played sports. serious sports. I mean, you were huh? the field hockey. Yeah. Like, talk, tell a little bit about that. I played field hockey starting in ninth grade, and then... Um, I made varsity when I was in 10th grade. Now I am just bragging. And so, and then I, so I played for three years there and I really loved it. And it was, I don't know, I think as far as high school sports go, ours was pretty intense. And, um, and then I played for a year at, in college, but I sat on the bench the whole time where you can, you know, learn a lot. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was, um, I, I, I you were identify as an both. athlete too, I guess, or during that era, that and, era, and, that time in high school. In terms of the improv that you would, you started doing improv in, in grade school, high school, would you say? In high school. Well, now I will just drop this name yes. because I've said this many times. So I, This um, is where I'm heading you. I'm oh, taking okay. oh, good. You. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll take the bait. Um, in ninth grade, I'll, I'll just say his name right now. John Hamm taught me Reaction. Improv, reaction. reaction. Oh, what? No. He went to my high school, and um, when he he graduated college, and then he came back to uh, St. Louis and taught high school, uh, taught theater at our high school for a year. And so I was lucky enough to be in the improv. He taught the improv portion of our ninth grade class, and um, so, so I only had him for a few classes. But yeah, he was he was actually a very good teacher. I know yes. we're all you know, swept away by his performances, Don Draper, but he was a very good teacher as well, which I think it's hard to do both of those things well. And he stayed, I mean, you stayed in touch with him. I mean, yeah. when you asked him to come to one of your, your one woman show, he came. Yeah. That I think that's really classy. Amazing. He had, I think Mad Men had been on the air for like a year maybe. And, um, I just looked up his email address on our alumni website and he wrote right back. And he came to our show. I mean, the only thing is he stole focus a bit. Like I was on the stage. <laughs> I was like, John Hamm's in the audience. I was like, this is my show. <laughs> but he was great. He was wearing his little St. Louis and blues did hat. Did he go on Kimmy because of you? Oh, I know. I think because of but, Tina Fey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think most That's things are because reason. of Tina Fey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about your Ivy League experience. Okay. So what was that? Was that <laughs> was that a positive? Did you love Princeton? You were you were you were doing uh, field hockey at the time. Yes. Were you doing theater? Like, yes, I like Princeton a lot. It took me a minute to find my footing because I, or I should say, my niche maybe because I played field hockey when I first got there, and I was happy to have. I think it's nice in college when you're away from home for the first time, perhaps, and to have a team. Yeah, and 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 it wasn't like a sorority for me. It was or a club. It was this field hockey team, which I felt grateful for. But um, after when you realize, oh, I like have four years here, how to make the most of my time. Cause I really was sitting on the bench the whole time. And then all, I don't know, all these ladies were like tearing their ACLs and I don't know, everyone seemed a little angry by the time they were seniors. I was like, get me out. <laughs> so I, I quit the team sophomore year and then I start, this is the best part of my uh, college experience was joining the improv team, which was called quit fire. Um, all improv, college improv. That's Q-U-I-P. Q, yeah. Like we're firing the quips. <laughs> so always a hilarious name. And, um, that was the most meaningful experience I had there, I think, because it really, um, introduced me. I mean, I had taken improv before, but not, I hadn't, uh, done it, you know, this, uh, uh, intensely before. And so it, the team was great. Like I loved, I have, you know, some of my dearest friends are on that team, but also, um, it opened up the, uh, I guess my eyes to the possibility of, Oh, people actually do this after they don't make a lot of money doing just improv, but 
um, it can lead it can to other things. Life. Yeah. And so did you make that decision before you left school that you were going to do it? No, I, I kept going to school before I was like uh, putting off making a decision. And then, and then after I stopped going, I went to school for another year. And then after that, I moved to New York and that's, and really had no, um, real plan except to start taking classes at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and the People's Improv Theater. And you had odd jobs at that point. Right? Yes. So tell us about some of those. I was a typist. Is that, is that a typist for um, uh, this uh, journalist for Vanity Fair? I would go to his apartment on the Upper East Side and type for him, uh, which I felt like... Probably couldn't do that today. I know. Well, I don't think I could do it today either. I feel like I've yeah. lost my edge. But um, I worked at Crumbs, which... Uh, bakery, bake shop, RIP. Although I don't understand because I sometimes see crumbs like popping up. Emerging. I remember crumbs. There was a crumbs on the west side. There was a crumbs. That's the one yeah. where I work. I started off on the east side one and then they transferred me to the west side. And I believe Zabar's carries some crumbs cupcakes are used to. I well, think we don't have to put them on we the spot. We don't have to put them on the spot. <laughs> no gotcha questions but, tonight. But um But I heard you you had trouble memorizing the cupcakes. Yes. I was Tell so us about that. I feel like I'm a reasonably smart person. I could not memorize the ingredients of these cupcakes. And I think it was because of the pressure applied to me. Like every morning my boss, Jay, would quiz me. And I don't know why I was so bad. It's memorization. I'm an actress. I'm supposed to be able to but memorize. there were a lot of versions of chocolate, it Thing. seems. Yes. Yeah, there was like a different ganache different, and yeah, drizzle. Filling. But yes. Yeah. And something that looks like it may have chocolate in it, like doesn't. I don't know. I, I found it very. And also a lot of people coming in to order cupcakes are unexpectedly angry. And you don't know why. <laughs> So that was hard. It's hard being in the customer service. And you wrote a commercial. Yes, and I never got paid for it. Ridiculous. I, Tell us. Well, I I interned at Leo Burnett Advertising Agency. I, I felt like madmen just then. I was like in the advertising world. But I interned there in Chicago uh, before my senior year of college. And um, I and I shadowed one of the copywriters one week, and he said, "Why don't you try a stab at writing this, you know, radio commercial for McDonald's?" And my jingle is the one that got on the air. And I didn't. I wonder why no one I mentioned this to ever was like, "Oh, did you ever get a paycheck for that?" Because shouldn't I have? But anyway, yes. it's I've forgotten all about it. Yes, and um, but I wrote it was for the triple bacon cheeseburger, and everything in my ad rhymed with bacon. <laughs> I'm really That's into great. rhyming. It's perfect for the JCC. Exactly. Oh, gosh. Can I even talk and, about me? And then you, 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 when did you work at Conan O'Brien? I uh, I was such an old intern. I was 25 years old. And it's an unpaid internship. And everyone else is in college. In fact, my sister got me the gig, my younger sister. She interned at Conan when she was like 20 in college. And then she like put in a good word with Aaron Cohen, who then hired me as a 25-year-old. <laughs> it was just a little sad. I think there was one intern older than me. He, he was like... 64, <laughs> like just older than. But that's interest. when you met your husband. Yes. But you didn't know that he was, I mean, you guys weren't romantic at the time, right? No, we were friends for a long time. And I was very confused by it because we would hang out one-on-one -on -one a lot, but it was never not to get TMI, but it was never romantic. We were always just like eating dinner or going to comedy shows. And I didn't have a male friend like that. So I, it was confusing to me, but he is, um, to be clear, we were friends when I was an intern there. He's three years older than I am. And then only once I started like actually doing sketches on the show there, then I mean, we're married now. So obviously at some point we started dating. Out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so what's the breakthrough? Is it the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, performance that you get where you get seen? Is that really the turning point you I think? Would, that, 
Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. But yes, I think that I was doing this show in Los Angeles, this one-person show, and uh, producers from The Office were in the audience. And this is like, the uh, actually, probably not too long after Sweet John Ham came to see it, maybe a few months after that. So um, really nice to have a product that I could show to it, people. It was and one woman. It was one just woman. Just you. Yeah. For like an hour? Of uh, mm, I would say 40 minutes or something. And it was all ladies who were kind of losing their minds. So it was fun and cathartic to play. And then um, I did this show. And then there was this audition for um, this. At the time, it was going to be like a four-episode arc on The Office. For the receptionist. Mm-hmm. For the temporary receptionist while Pam is working at the Michael Scott Paper Company. And um, but and the, the events, I mean, I just felt happy that I had something to show the people that I was, uh, you know, auditioning for their a job at their company, meaning the office. Um, it felt nice that those two things lined up. So, uh, yeah, I do feel like that was a valuable, I guess. So term. what happens? Do they, you get a call? So, it, well, in fact, I had met with the um, executive producers of the show, like, way earlier. I had auditioned for Saturday Night Live, didn't get on it, and then, um, well, I've, I, but I feel like my name was out there more, so then I got to meet with, uh, some people in LA and Greg Daniels and Mike Schur, who were the executive producers of the office, um, met with me. But there wasn't anything for me to do then. It was more just a general meeting. And then I think in March, so I met with them in September and then like in March of the following year. And you'd been a fan of the yes, show? Yes, love the office. So you think, so Moe's Schrute, I don't know who watch, watches the show, um, always reminded my family of my older brother, John. <laughs> John was in on the joke. He used to have a goatee. It was fine. But that's so, so yes, we were all huge fans of that of the show. Yeah. So before we get to the office, let's talk about, about one misstep or failure a little bit, which is SNL. Cause it's yes. always interesting to see someone successful have a moment when something doesn't work out yes. exactly, yeah. but it was a pretty big deal to get the audition at all. And, and first you met with Lauren Michaels, like how does it, how, how come you had a, a pre-meeting? How does that work? Oh, it's so nerve wracking because we did this, um, like showcase at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And so all the performers knew that Lauren Michaels was in the audience. It's like the thing you have a dream about when you're moving to New York, you think Lauren Michaels is in the audience, but he really was. And all the performers knew it, but the audience just thought it was a nice comedy show. And so, um, the next day I got a phone call that says Lauren Michaels wants a phone call from my manager who said, Lauren wants to meet with you at four o'clock at 30 Rock in his office. And you're like, what? I just come out of like a real estate commercial audition and I felt like I have to go home and shower. And there that was the audition when you couldn't pronounce lean or right. you weren't sure how to I pronounce wasn't sure. I was like, I think it's Lien. <laughs> what a snot, but it's lean. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I go to meet him and then you wait for like hours and then all of a sudden you start to smell popcorn and I guess that means he's ready. And I went in. Wait, 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 why? I don't know. I, I guess there's always popcorn. Is assistants always provide popcorn for? I don't know. I had heard about for, that. For him or for the person coming in on well, the on the firing squad? Yeah. He didn't eat any, so I don't know who. Was, <laughs> and I didn't dare eat it. I was like, he's not eating any. Right. I won't eat any. Um, but yeah, so then I went in and I wasn't sure what to expect really. And um, I can't remember very many of the questions that he asked me. He did ask me um, one question, the one that I remember, which was um, what era of the show did I grow up on? And I could think of nothing in that moment because I was so nervous. And the only name I could think of was Gilda Radner, which she was on ahead of my time. So I would have been like, I was 28 at the time of this meeting. So it would have put me at like 48. And so, but I was ready to say it because I couldn't just not answer. And Seth Meyers was in the room and he's very uh, helpful, very helpful, gregarious, kind person. And he said, was it Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Wayne's World? And I was like, yeah, that was it. (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah. But you were excited. I mean, you went home and you said you went to actually Utopia Coffee Shop, which yeah. is right near here. Love Yay, Utopia. Utopia. Yes, I love Utopia. Yeah. I love what it's they do. It's not as good as Zabar's. No, Mother. nothing comes close. <laughs> but I like the decor. They're always decorating over at Utopia. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, yeah I was just excited because it, what a, it was, it felt... A milestone. Totally. Yeah. A very concrete experience. Okay, now, no matter what happens, this happened, and I feel like it's a feather in my cap. So, and nothing did happen. But <laughs> how do you prepare for that audition? Because a lot of people don't know how that actually works. Yeah. You have to do certain things. Yes. Right? I think we were told we had to do two celebrity impressions, which I can't really do impressions. And then... Um, Who did you choose to do? Well... Well, I chose to do Miley Cyrus because she was in the news for some like steamy photos had just been released. So I was like, oh, I'll just pretend to take off my clothes during the interview. That was like the extent of my impression. And um, (laughs) Renee Zellweger because, (laughs) sorry, my face used to look like, she's had some work done, but my face used to look like her. (laughs) Why am I so mean about, well, she has, she looks different now. I used to look a lot like that. Um, so just before we get to all the successes, was this, was this hard? Like how hard was this? Because I imagine you in a way don't expect to get it because the odds are so low. The odds, yes. And it is like anything I think that you think, oh, I don't really want, oh, I don't know. And then the moment you come close to it and don't get it, then it feels that much more devastating. So it, and by the way, they don't call you and say, thank you so much. You didn't get it. You just Never hear Don't hear from anything. Yes. It goes so, into the ether. Exactly. But it didn't make you, it didn't give you self-doubt. It didn't make you kind of trip you up in terms of your confidence. I don't think that it did because I almost in a weird way felt like, oh, I, I hope I'm not giving myself more credit than I is due, but I can't do celebrity impressions. I don't know that I'm as, for, I don't know that I'm a sketch mm. performer in that way. So I kind of felt like this was not my fit. This Ma- was not my fit. Maybe, but maybe I'm just saying that because I didn't get it. If I had gotten it, I would have been like, there was no other place for me. <laughs> and have you seen Lauren since everything? Yes, I have seen him a number of times. And I, has he given you popcorn? I, no popcorn. I'm still, I'm just like, don't say Gilda Radder. Don't say Gilda Radder. <laughs> I've met him a number of times and I always say, hi, I'm Ellie. Just because I feel like he meets so many right, people. Right, but I think it's almost ruder to keep introducing yourself. Because I work on Tina Fey's show, so I feel like he's plugged right, into that. he's plugged I, into that. Yeah. So The Office, was yeah. it was it a dream job? Was it, first of all, they, they didn't expect to keep you, right? You were right. four episodes and right. then they turned it into a full part. That must have been pretty thrilling. Like how did that, how did that happen? I don't know how it happened. They just changed the writers changed this. I guess they were planning on going one route and then they went another. They uh, decided to promote Pam to a salesperson, and so they needed a new receptionist. So I got that job, but that was above and beyond. Like that's the biggest break you could ever hope for. I loved The Office. Um, that is a cast of actually very normal, uh, nice. Regular people, like nobody, there weren't any divas, and I feel like there was a lot of shows you could be thrown into where people might, you know, I don't know, sneer at the new person or whatever it was. And everyone was so welcoming, and the show is full of really smart writers and brilliant performers. So that was the biggest break ever. So yeah. And what is it like? What what was it like? Because it was shot in a particular way that was very, you know, handheld, yeah. right? Very, very kind of realistic and so deadpan. I can't imagine how you all. Oh, I know. Kept it together. Oh, I know. And. I think, especially, I mean, these performers, like Steve Carell, like it's so funny. And there was a lot of improv on the show too. Sometimes things worked better than others. I like didn't dare improvise because I felt like, okay, I'm new. But um, Who was improvising the most? Steve Carell, as he should. He's like (laughs) world-class improviser. Um, (laughs) Some people would improvise, but I'm like, eh, you shouldn't. You you shouldn't be improvising. Stick (laughs) to the script. Yeah, but the, the, it did feel like, um, 
I mean, I'd never worked on a television show really before, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. But now when I think back on it, it does seem like almost more casual in a way because you don't have to wait for as much for like lighting setups and everything. It's just, it is handheld. It's supposed to be a documentary. So uh, by definition, it is just kind of, it's it's not as time-consuming, actually. And for those who didn't watch every episode, who were some of the people who came through? Will, uh, Will, Will Ferrell, Ferrell yeah. was on it. and Oh, my gosh. I, I feel like there were Jim Carrey, uh, Kathy Bates, uh, James wow. Spader. Wow. Uh, Catherine Tate was on, she was on it, like, for a regular run. Um, oh, my gosh, there's 100 people who now and I... And when did Mindy Kaling, was she it, after it, you, with you? Uh, was Mindy? She was there the whole time. Yeah, she. The whole yeah, time. She, yeah. she was there when you arrived. She was there when I arrived, and the the gag like on my first day was that her name. We're both. Wait, what is it? She's yes, yes. We're both named Kelly. Okay, so um, Idris Elba, who's was guest starring, keeps calling Kelly into the office. So Kelly Kapoor keeps running in, but he's like, I, no, no, I'm I talking to the receptionist, that. Kelly. Yeah, yeah and she's like, that's my name. So that's why they decide Kelly will go by me. Will go by her middle name, Aaron, to distinguish between the two. Seventy Six West is brought to you by Zabars and Zabars.com. In 1934, Lewis and Lillian Zabar opened a shop along Broadway at 80th Street on New York's Upper West Side. Lewis was a stickler for quality, roasting his own coffee and personally visiting smokehouses to sample and inspect fish, rejecting far more than he accepted. Today, Lewis's principles and practices continue to guide Zabars. Respect the customer. Never, ever stint on quality. Offer fair value. And last but not least, keep searching for the new and wonderful. Be sure to visit Zabar's store on 80th and Broadway, or visit zabars.com for mouth-watering specialties like bagels, babka, rugelach, smoked fish, and of course, world-famous caviar. Zabar's ships to all 48 contiguous United States plus Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, so there's no reason your friends can't enjoy the fresh, homemade taste of Zabar's any day of the week. Did you, and, and when you did the, um, I think you just lost everybody. I think it? I did. I'm remembering <laughs> Kelly Kapoor running in and being like, yes. Wait, what's Idris Elba's character's name? I just watched this, so I know exactly what you're talking Charles. about. Yes, Charles, you wanted But me. you all can YouTube it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, YouTube it. It will make YouTube sense it. what I just said. But the other thing that you should YouTube is the the music video that you uh, and Mindy did, which had me just like laughing in okay. tears. I, say how that happened. I thought you were going to say like like revolted because there's a lot of gold lame spandex yeah, in there. there. Is okay. a lot <laughs> there's a lame. lot. I loved that. That's that was fantastic. that felt like a home movie. I mean, yeah. that felt like something that I would have made in high school, just like a fun music video. But we made those over the summer. Our girl band named Subtle Sexuality put together a music <laughs> video, and it's all about about um, a male prima donna who was BJ and uh, just like, I don't know, we're too good for him or whatever it is. And it's just, it was just like a bunch. It's so fun. It's so I, fun. It's right up my alley. So I, again, really lucky. And red hair, you talk about it in your book. Mm -hmm. Didn't that play a role? Like, do they, you, you could keep your red hair for this, right? Well, they, I first, the first day actually I had to change it because I think they thought it looked too close to Pam's on oh. camera. And so I had to dye it brown, which was the first time. I am a redhead. I am a proud redhead. And I had to dye it. Yes. Hey, there's one, one out <laughs> There's there. only so many of us. And so I feel, I felt like this is very strange because I had never really, it changes who you are a little yeah. bit. Um, but of course, I mean, this was a big break. So I would do whatever they 
said, well, to an extent. And um, yeah, I felt like very serious as a brunette. <laughs> Not the fun-loving clown I am <laughs> in real life. But I, I think then, I, I guess enough time had passed that like audiences had gotten used to a new character and could distinguish between <laughs> Pam and Aaron. So I went back to my normal hair color. <laughs> and so is this, this is really when you get to be famous, would you say? I mean, recognizable. S- recognizable. Yeah. And how did that change things for you? Not not. Airports, really supermarkets, fairway. Are you, I, well, well, in New York, nobody ever wants to like be caught recognizing anyone. That's true. Because it's We're like just not too cool. cool for school. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, but I would say, and it's interesting now. If if like it, it's usually younger women who do not recognize me as Kimmy Schmidt, but as Aaron from The Office. I think it's like the new. They were like two years old when The Office was on. No. So now it's like has this seeing this rebirth on Netflix and, and reruns and everything. But um, I don't think things changed. I don't think they changed very much. Yeah. But you moved to do it, right? You moved to LA? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess, had we already said, I don't know if I had already like said, my friend Joe just reminded me that apparently in 2009, I declared 2009, the year to be fine. And I, and like, and that's when I got the job on the office. So wow. I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah. It's really an incredible mantra. He was prescient. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's beautiful in a way. It was like your bacon uh, jingle. (laughs) I just like, I rattle off these jingles between Janiris and bacon in 2009. Yeah. Got a lot of rhymes. Um, (laughs) So bridesmaids, that's post office. I'm not sure I'm in the right. It was, I think it was during office. Yeah. Because um, I knew Paul Feig who directed the movie from the office. He had, he was a a producer on the office. And so were you all cast at the same time or like how did that? Pretty much. I read for Melissa McCarthy's part first, actually, when I went into audition. And um, then I, I obviously, I, I played Becca, not her part. Um, but yeah, it was, it happened, I think, pretty quickly, it felt like. And were you guys, has everyone seen Bridesmaids? Because it's incredible, <laughs> right? It's a, Applause. It's a good movie. It's like it's one of the best movies ever. And I'm secretly sort of happy that there isn't a sequel because yeah. it makes it that much more special. It does. I think. Right. It stands on its own. Having said that, if tomorrow they're like, there's a sequel, I'm like, I'll yes. be there. Yeah. <laughs> And did you, we all have a fantasy that you all got to be friends. Was that like? I think it's a reality. No, I, yes. I think it's a, they, again, I've been, I, I hope that you believe me. You take me at my word when I say all these people are nice because I say it about a lot of the people I work with, but I have been so lucky. These ladies are all, again, like normal, smart women who, um, there was no vanity involved. Also, when we were making it, I didn't feel like there was any feminist agenda. It wasn't like, we're going to set these men right. We can make a movie that's funny too. It was more like, oh no, no, these two like hilarious veteran, you know, actors and writers wanted to write a movie about the experience of seeing your friend get married and what that's like. And, um, and it was only after it came out and I felt like there were critics, uh, there were quotes coming in that said like a chick flick that doesn't suck. And I felt like, oh, that, it didn't occur to me that this would. But there was also suck. that that there was a lot of that talk about can women be funny? Are right. women funny? Right. And this 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 felt like this was going to kind of disprove any right. question of whether you could have a, a comic movie that women carried. And that was Ooh. the I think the most valuable thing because it demonstrated to studios that oh the box office it did well at the box office so you can how well did it do do you remember oh I don't remember but I it was know. it was it did well it yeah. was like a sleeper hit because I think people it I'm not sure how it was like out of the gate what is all this showbiz terms I'm I'm like I don't know how it did out of the gate but uh <laughs> sleeper hit and then um I think people like would go see it and then would bring their boyfriends and their husbands back to see it and everyone sort of That's and true. people kept going to see it but um yeah I think that was the best part. 
then then they're not afraid to keep right. making movies with women. Um, all with only women. So one of the one of the most obviously memorable scenes is the food poisoning yes. scene. Um, My grandpa was so disgusted yes. by that. For but, some but fascinated also. Yes, right? in a way. <laughs> um, and you write in the book, and I'd love to just talk to you about the vomit for a minute. <laughs> because I was thinking, how did you all, I mean, obviously we don't see the diarrhea, but the vomit <laughs> we do. And I'm just, the fact that this was like your personal vomit recipe was fascinating to me. So tell everyone just how, how did that actually work to film? Well, Because it, it's obviously such a mess. Yeah, it was such a mess and it was so weird and long and it was... That's what she said. And it, no, I'm sorry. I had to say it. And it was, it just said it. Sorry. It was such, it was one isolated day of vomiting. And I remember like looking over at Wendy. Uh, oh my gosh, you guys, I can't remember Wendy's character's name right now either. I can only remember their real names. And she was just like had her hands and her head or her head and her hands. And she, cause it's like painful to, if, yeah. if you've ever had food poisoning, it's yeah, like hurts yeah, your yeah. tummy to actually do that all the time. But, um, the vomit was delicious. It was banana pudding and um, or I, 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 a vanilla wafer. I mean, it's yeah. with like some milk and maybe some graham crackers in there too. And it was, um, we overshot, like we shot so many, I don't want to gross anyone, but like so much vomiting that it couldn't possibly all be used. Um, but I remember being outside and like <laughs> on the practicing against the like stage wall and Paul Feig came out and he's like, you can do this, Ellie. You got to get a little higher. I was like, I can do it. And like the athlete in me came out and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> it's, it's like Hollywood dreams. <laughs> um, so before we get to Kimmy, let's get to your marriage because somewhere in the middle of this, you had a wedding, correct? Yes. Yeah. And just he he writes for Saturday Night Live now. Yes. Was he was he doing that then? And were you kind of working together at all, or was this just kind of a concurrent career at the blossoming? Oh yes. No, the, I'm trying to think of what he. I think at the time he was working on this show called Eagle Heart, which is a very funny. It's an obscure show. It is so funny. It stars Chris Elliott. I think he was working on that at the time. But we both and we both lived in Los Angeles. We got married in 2012. But we got married here actually in New York on 71st Street. Um, at the Blessed Sacrament. Again, he's Jewish, but he took one for the team. He, the he was team. like, meant a lot to my mother to get married at a Catholic church. So he did it. He was like, sure, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so that was 2012. I was a terrible bride. I mean, I, I look back at emails now. I had to for some of this book. Oh my gosh. I mean, I really did think, I was like, I just felt like my mom will, it is so baby infantile, but I felt like, oh, my mom will do most of, handle most of the details. And How she dare? did. She did. She did. She's a good mom. But you do write about, like, it, it was something that you were kind of stressed about, right? You sort of delayed it. Was was that? Exactly, yes. Because I think he proposed in December and we set the, the July 7th was the date. And so, and I just kept, I didn't do any, the March rolled around and I kept, every time I thought about tackling a task, because it's true. Even if you're going to have a tiny wedding, it's uh, the decisions before you. Yeah. yeah, it's endless. But there wasn't about ambivalence about just the idea of, of marriage because I, you you were you do talk about like your career was important at that time. Yes. Did, did did you feel like you this was in some way gonna either hinder you or at that point you were ready? I think I was I, I was ready. I don't think I I think I I was more. <laughs> this might be crazy. More focused on the wedding than the idea that we were getting married because for life. I, right. Yeah. Because that is like a huge right. uh, concept to tackle, which is, oh, I'm marrying this person. But I can definitely focus on this one day and like cloth, like linen versus I can't come up with another, what's another material? Burlap. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> we went with the linen. Um, but I feel like also we were so uh, 
uh, close that it felt like not much of a leap in yeah. terms of relationship-wise. But um, but you haven't collaborated, have you? No, we haven't yet, and I is, think that, that we should. Well, I can't about? tell. I can't tell. Do you? I don't, I'm not sure. If, I think it can work for some people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know personally, but I. But it seems like you both are speaking the same language. Yeah, I think we have the same. Uh, sensibility. So in that way, I think it could be good. But then I don't know, especially after James was born. I don't know if this happened to anyone in the audience after they had kids. I've become much more controlling and I'm like, this is the only way. So I don't know if that would like, like literally tonight I was like, you don't cut his chicken like that. <laughs> and I had to cut it. Like I'm crazy now. Yeah. But I mean, I always was, but we've now all, really. We've all been there. We've all, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that would trickle over into the workspace, but I would love if he, he's a right, he's a television writer. I mean, I've, I wrote a book, but I'm not like a television writer. I would love if he wrote something for me. Do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it out there. So maybe we'll. <laughs> um, I want to just have you read um, just so people can get a flavor for the book. Okay. Um, You're nice. This is the a piece called Warrior. Yes. <laughs> These are very digestible. This could be a, a bathroom book. Yes. You can pick it up. Yes. Yes. And you don't, yes, you don't have to, they all are standalone chapters. Okay. So now I'm about to lose like 80% of the audience because of it's what, okay. although actually we're very close to a soul cycle. So maybe there are some lovers in here. Okay. Of soul cycle. This is called Warrior. One Saturday on an unusually warm morning in late, in late September, I arrived at my soul cycle studio in the West Village of Manhattan. Happy birthday, what appeared to be a 12-year-old girl exclaimed to me from the front desk. She held up a shiny silver bag emblazoned with the words soul cycle over and over again. This is for you. I told her that my birthday was in May and that surely there was some mistake. Oops, she smiled. I must have mixed you up with someone else. She handed me the silver bag that she was holding. This is your 500th ride. 500. I stared at her, this young girl, her blonde hair shining, her unblemished, unblemished face glowing and dewy. 500 rides, I repeated. I've ridden at SoulCycle 500 times. The girl nodded a lot and asked if I needed any shoes or water. I shook my head no, dizzy from this new information. I envisioned lying on my deathbed, surrounded by my children and grandchildren. Mom, my oldest son, James, whispers, tell us again about the time you rode a stationary bike 500 times. <laughs> I ask everyone to lean in closer so that, so that I don't have to strain. Son, I say, there was a time in my life between the ages of 34 and 37 when I agreed to pay money to take a bicycle riding class in a studio lit by candles and filled with the songs of Coldplay, Pitbull, and E.S. Posthumous. <laughs> my family gasps. But where did you go on the bike? Asked my youngest granddaughter, a timid girl named Cabinet. No popular girl names. <laughs> popular girl names don't get any less weird in the future. Where did the bike take you? Cabinet is five years old and just learning how to ride a bike. Nowhere, I answer, staring at the ceiling. Cabinet has the worst seat in the death bedroom, directly behind me, and there is no way my paralyzed neck can turn to see her. It was a stationary bike, the kind of bike that is bolted to a stand so that it doesn't go anywhere. What kind of stationary, Cabinet's older sister, Morph, asks. <laughs> Was it the kind with butterflies that says thank you on it? I laugh out loud. Morph never was too sharp. <laughs> no, metamorphosis, I answer. <laughs> this stationary is spelled with an A. Stationary, the kind you mean, is spelled with an E. Stationary starts with S, Cabinet observes. Anyway, I continue, seriously ready to die by now. I rode the stationary bike in a 45-minute class more than 500 times. 
a hush falls over the room, and I wonder why it's taking so incredibly long for Mandy, my robot maid, to bring up the Arnold Palmer I asked for an hour ago. Surely Mandy must recognize that time is of the essence. But why, a child named Grand Rapids pipes up. (laughs) Why did you ride the bike so many times, Grandma? Sadly, Grand Rapids' question is too late. For at that very moment, my head turns to the side, and my eyes close, and I die. (laughs) And so the question is left to bounce around the room. Why did she ride the bike so many times? Why did she ride the bike so many times? I hope that I'm the one who inherits her cool 2075 Ford Taurus. I mean, why did she ride the bike so many times? Why did I ride the SoulCycle bike more than 500 times? You got to buy it to know the answer. No, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks. It's so good. It's By so the good. way, oh, that's nice. I looked at my now on the app, like you can really see, track your rides very closely. And there were 500 rides, I guess, in three years. And then since James was born, I think it's been like 42 rides. Like you just don't have time. Yeah, you don't have yeah time. it changes. But <laughs> but you do love it. Like now let's get to the serious part of it yeah. because I've, I've done this. I've struggled with it. I've failed at it. I, you we, you can help fail. me with my soul cycle therapy. Okay. <laughs> But but why what what does it do for you that that you kept coming back? There is one specific instructor who I feel surpasses all other instructors. For me, it's a it's all about the fit. His name is Rike Uresti, and he there uh, yes there is something there has to be something profound. And otherwise, why would I go so many times? It's a release. I feel like you the endorphins are a very powerful thing. You I. For me, it makes me feel like I'm an athlete again and I'm in high school and it's very competitive, but also um, team oriented. And so I think it taps into that experience, but it also (laughs) makes you feel really young because there's music playing and you, and it's dark and you just feel like. You lose yourself. Yeah. So I. I, 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 Nobody bothers you. I mean, nobody comes up to you. No. Watches you. Not really. I mean. Again, it's dark, which right. is so nice. But uh, again, I think it's that. But thing. you're on the same bike. I'm sure you're on the same bike. You choose your bike. Right? You do choose your yes. Is it still number eleven? It it is any number in the front row for anyone who takes Soul Cycle. It's like I a know. brag to be yeah, in the front, front row. row. So yes. stupid. But it's again, it's like that's what keeps you coming yes, back. Coming back. Yeah. And you put Ricky on some pants, or he put himself. Yeah. You have he, Ricky pants. No, he had nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, there's like, I'm not alone in my Rike worship. And another lady like designed up spandex pants with his face on the thigh of the pant. It's so creepy. It's his face. And then like his arm is over here. And when you wear these spandex pants, it's uh, disturbing, okay. but I love them. Yes. Sure <laughs> he just had twins. Oh, yes. Through a surrogate, nice. but it's so, okay. but, but I'm making it about me. He's like out for three months. What am I going to do? Oh my it's God. fine. He'll raise his twins. <laughs> <laughs> But we have to go to Kimmy, which is why a lot of people, I'm sure, are here. Um, it's First of all, you wrote just a piece in the New York Times that ran yesterday, yeah, an op-ed, if any of you haven't seen, which was wonderful about oh, the so ending. Nice of you. Um, but just Brilliant. before we get to just the humor of it, it does feel like there's something you keep coming back to in the book and some of the other interviews you've done that it, it made, it kind of gave people a certain um, hope, or you say optimism, yes. when they were struggling. I hope that that's the case. I feel like the feedback that I do get on the show is, um, or if someone does come up, it is actually, um, you know, people will say the office helped them through a time, like it helped, you know, heal them or they were going through, they found it as, uh, they found it to be a great comfort. And with Kimmy, I think the thing is that, um, I think they do what people have said. I don't want to like 
a boast about the show, but I think that it can, it resonates with people because anyone has been uh, thrust into a new experience. Anyone has gone through a hard time and, and, and everyone has to find a way to move forward. And I think these are extreme circumstances. The premise of the show is that my character, Kimmy was kidnapped when she was 14 and held underground in a bunker for 15 years and then rescued by the FBI. So not a very likely premise for a sitcom, but uh, Robert Carlock and Tina, who Faye, who created the show, are, I think, magicians, because I don't know how they managed to make that into a sitcom, and a very funny sitcom. But um, it is, at its heart, it is a show about survival and resilience. And so uh, I think that that is... It resonated. Uh, it resonated people. with people. And so much has changed in the four years since it started streaming, but um, I think that... Well, people need that now more than I ever. I think so. Yeah, we all feel like we're in a bunker. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, no. But it, 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 the idea that something was written for you, like, that must have been quite something and and both exciting and very pressuring yes to have tina frey say oh my gosh yeah i'm, I'm writing this with you in mind oh totally nerve-wracking because of course i like most americans adore and idolize tina fey and i love the loved i read her book bossy pants in fact the greatest compliment i think i got on my book was that the reviewer said it's no bossy pants <laughs> and i was like you mentioned bossy pants in the same <laughs> sentence <laughs> But it's no possible. So, so she came and she had a, it was a, like a, a coffee, a lunch, yeah. kind of like just was she figu- was, was we, she figuring out whether you would be interested or whether she really thought you were the one. Good question. It, it was with Robert, who's the co-creator of the show, and, and it we, was it. It was also in the neighborhood. Yes, Cafe Luxembourg. It's yay the for the West Seventies. Love, the, yeah, exactly. And um, I didn't. It's a good. It may have been like. You know, measuring it like, is this person crazy? Do I want to work with this person? Like at midnight on a Friday, is this someone I want to run into? Um, I don't know. It seemed so checked out. Everything was fine. I did not mention Gilda Radner, so everything was like fine. <laughs> um, and then they, and again, when they, I've I've said this before, but when they floated the prem, or I don't want to say they pitched the premise, they mentioned the premise to me. I did think they were testing me to see because that doesn't sound like no, a sitcom on they NBC. Might be, like making that up, right? Originally, the show was going to be on NBC, and um, and then and there was a different name, right? Yes, a very funny name called Tooken. Um, Which explain that because I think I understand why they didn't choose. Yeah, it. T- I think it's like a like Tooken, like you were taken. You were. T- it's a term. It's an expression for when someone has been kidnapped. Been kidnapped. Okay. Like they were Tooken. Um, but they didn't. The, yeah, they nixed that. So it was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt instead, which is a tongue twister. But um. Yeah, Tooken, I like Tooken. But they they uh, they weren't joking about the premise. It wasn't a test. It was the actual premise. And then um, and then when they showed me the script that they had written for the pilot, I th- I couldn't believe it because it's this girl walking down Fifth Avenue and looking in a window, a store window, and buying some sparkly sneakers. And it just felt very surreal because um, I couldn't believe any of it was happening. And I was worried about it wasn't a pilot, right? They ordered the whole thing. Yes, right? they, I think they ordered thirteen episodes that to un- begin that's with. That's unusual. Uh, that is unusual, but I think it's again great faith in their creators, and so uh, NBC had great faith in their creators. And then, um, yeah, and then I think it ended up. So we weren't getting an air date from NBC, and it moved to Netflix in like uh, March of two thousand fifteen, I think. And the fact that it was packed with jokes—I mean, it was—it was that kind of really dense writing. Yeah. And just they, they're coming all the time. They're coming in different directions. There's like a joke within a joke within a oh joke. Oh my gosh. Yes. So what was that like to actually, to memorize, to work on, to kind of watch? Yeah. Or I assume people were not improvising because it was no. so. Yes, it was. And by the way, I have to give, I mean, nobody will care about me and Keith. I have to give a shout out to Keith Blatt, who's in the audience. I was staying, I, we just saw each other on the way down here. I was, I haven't seen him in seven Who is years. he? 
Keith Blatt was the owner of the apartment where I was staying when I got the call that I was on The Office. Yay, Yay Keith! <laughs> I don't know where he is, but I, I credit you with getting me that job, so thank you. Um, he had a great apartment. It was beautiful. And now he lives here. We'll talk about that later. Um, so I... The show was so different from The Office because it, there is no improvising. All the jokes are so precisely written and uh, carefully honed that there is no that. I mean, the and you the know, pace is and very the pace fast. is so quick. And yeah. I was a huge am a huge fan of Thirty Rock, so it's the same kind of pacing as there. And talk about joke within a joke. And sometimes not until I watch the episode do I understand a joke. I'm like, oh, that's what that joke was, <laughs> or like some visual gag that I didn't understand it, or you just it passes you by because there's so much going on, and then you you realize it. And Tina and Robert are there. They're like on, really? like yes, on the set. Like are they rewriting as you go at all? Not really rewriting so much, I would say, but just making sure that everything is, you know. Right. And how far in advance did you get a script? We would usually get it the week before. And so most of our table reads, which is when you read the episode, um, were cold, I guess. Like we don't, we got them, you know, 10 minutes beforehand because they're also always writing up until the last minute. But it's, it was, it was just very different from The Office because, um, you know, the, the Office, I think, sort of uh, reveled in awkward pauses and lingering, you know, glances. And, yeah. yeah. And this was, this is very different, different pace. And in terms of Titus, like how did they test your chemistry before this? Was that, because that's a really important yeah. relationship that you have. Yes. And they, there were a... F Tell everyone who that is. Oh, so Titus Burgess is my, uh, Titus Andromedon is my roommate in the show. Um, and Titus Burgess is the name of the actor who portrays him. But by the way, like they wrote the character named Titus and then Titus auditioned. And dummy, I was like... What a coincidence. Like, I don't know that many people named Titus. This is not a joke. And I, and I was like, what a coincidence that he got the job. <laughs> I mean, they wrote it with him in mind. He had right. been on 30 Rock. Okay. So I think, so there were a number, there was a number of men, of actors who auditioned for Titus. Um, I don't know how many I read with. A few. And then, but I did feel, you know, when you meet someone and you feel like, oh, I've known this person forever. That was the, that was sort of the feeling with Titus, which is so great. Yeah. He mm -hmm. claims he, he has had past lives, so maybe... Maybe we met in a fast life. I don't know. I just I just feel like I have his number. But it, what a nice thing to work with someone who Great. you get along with. But you, I know you've been asked this, but your your scene is very sunny as yes. a person, and, and people or people at least assume you are in real life because we we feel like you're so cheerful and energetic, and it, it feels like you're kind. I mean, maybe we we, we want to know the <laughs> underside of Ellie Kemper. So if, I know you've been asked this, but are is that? Is that true to you? Like, are you, do you actually are more of a dark, pessimistic, kind of irritable person? Or Good thing my husband is at home with James right now. No, I'm kidding. Because he's seen my dark side because I am so short-tempered. Um, I would say, okay, here's an example. So my cousin Nicholas got married about a week, two weeks ago. And we were at the wedding and someone came up and he was like, this is a family wedding. I mean, family and friends. You know, and he was like, I think he was drunk, but he was like, oh, you're unbreakable. But I was so hungry because dinner was very late. And also um, we had been talking a lot. So I was tired and I, we, I go, I'm also Nicholas's cousin. <laughs> it was crazy. I lost my mind for a minute and then we ate and it was fine. Okay. But I told my mom, she was like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I lost it for a second. So I would say Kimmy Schmidt is definitely an aspirational character for me because she, her first and foremost, her um, strength and tenacity are something I would aspire to have. I don't think I have um, 
been tested in the way that she has. And I also don't know that I have the fortitude or optimism that she does. But I also think that I, I would like to think that I share some of her um, sunniness and uh, and re- optimism, I should say. But but I am human. I would say that um, I'm impatient and maybe have a short fuse, which which maybe Kimmy does too. But the dark side of me would it's usually blood sugar related and um and also if there's like an injustice being dealt where i feel that something isn't fair and it can be something as trivial as like you know standing in line and someone want, cuts the line right i mean that stuff makes me i mean if it makes a lot of us yes, mad i yeah, think and we, we all relate to that we all relate to that yeah but sometimes i i like people to follow rules so sue me <laughs> no i do i'm a rule i am a rule follower. Um, and since Ellie and I are now good friends, I did yeah. promise her that she would have time to sign books and get home to her family. So I want to thank her. I want to encourage you to have thank a Thank you, Abby, very much. Thank you, Abby. Hands, no. applause. And thank you for coming. It's so cold out. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me, JCC. That was Ellie Kemper talking to Abigail Pogerman. Our podcasts are produced by Megan Whitman and me, Eric Winnick. Our editor is Matt Temkin. Our music was written and performed by Peril Wolf. The voice of Zabars is Leah Rosensweet. Please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you can, share this episode with your friends. If you're just joining us, welcome. And be sure to subscribe for future episodes. <laughs>